the weekend variety wireless. Do, do, do. To leave it for the last day for the most crushing thing I've heard. Uh, that was the truth of consequences has never actually been interesting after playing it for about 30 years that it is actually boring. Uh, it's like finally finding out how your voice sounds and you don't realise that, <laughs> oh, God, I've been embarrassing myself. But it won't hold me back. Uh, Susie Wiles is here for Skeptical Thoughts. I'll give you a go at truth consequences. Noah's wife's name was Joan of Arc. That's it, we're bringing it back. <laughs> we're bringing back Truth of Consequences. It's the greatest show, game show ever devised for radio. <laughs> whoop de doo is a small town in Sri Lanka. True or false? <laughs> True. No, oh, false. Of course it is false. Anyway, okay. Uh, we'll leave that there because there are more important things to address, and that is the world of sceptical thoughts. And Susie Wiles is with us, along with long-time sceptical thoughter, a cunning church of New Zealand sceptics on the phone. G'day, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Okay, plenty to talk about this week. Uh, Susie, you can kick I, it off. Yeah, I, w I want to kick it off by just saying heartfelt thank you, Graham for giving scepticism and critical thinking uh, airtime. And I've just been, I, I feel quite sad today. And I just think, I, I thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for giving us the space to talk about some of the stuff. I was looking back at um, when I first appeared on the show, 2014. Wow. We were talking about Ken Ring. Um, <laughs> I, I almost didn't say his name in case it invokes him. <laughs> but, yeah, I was looking back at some of the things we talked about and, uh, you know, the, it seems that we need this more than ever uh, with how things are going with, you know, fake news, <laughs> the, the new word for lies, um, yeah. which even some of our own politicians seem to be quite happy to, to partake in. And, um, oh, gosh, I just feel a bit... A bit like, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a thing that I would like there not to be any necessity to have a special thing for it. It would be mm. nice if it was more widely known that carrying around a good sceptical suitcase, even a skept being sceptical about your own thoughts. Absolutely. Um, uh, a big... That's a case of maybe I'm wrongs as well, which mm. a lot of people don't do. They walk around with absolute surety, many of them in clerical clothes. But also, I think, you know, I saw a video uh, shared on social media the other day, and I haven't had time to look into whether this was true or not. It claimed to be about a program that could basically make photographs from kind of composites of things and so it could say like you could show it a range of photographs and say you know I want the I want the kind of coloring of that one I want the background of that one I want the glasses from that one I want the skin tones from that one and then it would make you a new photograph mm -hmm. and and it's if it's true it's just so scary how good this stuff is getting so how good it is to make how easy it is to make fake stuff and then this whole, like, everybody just shares it as though it's real. Mm. And you're right, we all need to, we all need to pack our, our sceptical suitcase and we all need to be um, mm. just stopping for just a moment to say, mm. could that possibly be? <laughs> and where can to, I find out? I have out? to say, um, I, I think that's very plausible, the idea of making a fake photo. I know there's, there's already software out there that makes videos, um, deep fakes, and um, like a lot of new technology, the first industry that's picked up on it is pornography. 
and it's being used to um, inject celebrities into pornography videos. <laughs> and the the technology works really well, and it's very realistically done. So the idea of a still photo being faked automatically sounds okay. pretty plausible. What do you do if you're the celebrity who suddenly finds yourself starring in a, in a porn film? I don't film? think as much you can do. <laughs> um, I mean, people will realise, well, it's not really you, or maybe it is you, or... and. I think we're in a state of flux at the moment where no one knows quite what to do yeah. and a lot of people are saying we must do this or we must do that and I hear a lot of we must change things or regulate things or, or change uh, the way we uh, interact with each other because of social media and the advent of the internet when I think it's going to sort itself out. Whether we like it or not, this is a generation in flux. A younger generation is going to understand more that, and hopefully be sceptical that things aren't true. Yeah, but I, I, I worry that it's, it, oh, I, I worry <laughs> that with the whole how, you know, showing just how social media and and forces can change, you know, the courses of elections and things, um, I, I worry that our next generation might be a bit screwed and it's going it to be very hard for them to... Posters making inflammatory things yeah. changed elections in the past yeah. uh, as well. I like Ike. You don't need the internet for propaganda. Mark, no, Mark? Yep. What do you... <laughs> Have you been listening? Have you, did you go for a pie as well? No, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> no, but so, one of the stories that really struck me this week was that, um, you know, I got really excited a little while ago when Facebook said that we're going to be um, teaming up with um, various organisations to kind of do some, you know, uh, fact-checking and things to sort of try and weed yeah. out some of the fake stuff. And, you know, there's an article in The Guardian, I think it was, just going, that a journalist himself going, Basically, this is crap. Actually, it was just a bunch of PR, and you know, the the the, the Facebook don't give a damn. Mm. Um, and you know, so we're all or it's being too played. hard. Is it too hard, basket? No, the journalists were saying we can do this. It was basically they 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 weren't. Nobody was listening to them. So it was. I think it was a kind of like Facebook realizing there's a problem a PR problem mm. and going, well, look, we're going to fix it this way, but actually not giving a shit whether they fixed or not. It was right. just about their, yeah. their... I think that's it. The article seems to suggest that they were more interested in making sure that they looked good and were seen to be fact-checking yeah. rather than fact-checking was done rigorously. Um, right. What amazed me with this one was I found the same day the Guardian article came out immediately on newsroom.sb.com they came out with their own article rebutting this. So um, they, they definitely seem very quick to defend themselves with this kind of accusation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, a robot at a science tech show in Russia that turned out to be a man in a suit. How yeah. spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I just saw this one and it was just like, um, yes, apparently you can buy, well, you can buy or rent uh, suits that people can get into that then look like robots who um, can move and talk and behave. Just like a man, because it turns out that there's a man inside them. And um, <laughs> and this was at some science and technology fair. Who'd have thought that would be a good get-around? I know, I know. And, yeah, so it was a science and technology fair. And I think the fair were like, well, we didn't say it wasn't a man, but it ended up, you know, footage from the fair ended up showing on TV. And, and then the TV, it was like, 
Look, a robot. <laughs> no, it's a man in a suit. So I think that's just that that kind of sums up, I think, our, you know, is it a robot or is it a man in a suit? Right, right, right. Just, just have a think about this. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about the Turing test as well, which comes up occasionally, if you talk to something and you can't tell if it's a human, if it talks to you back to you or not, mm. I think it's a lame test. I love Alan Turing. I adore what he did on computability. We wouldn't be here in this state if it wasn't for a man like Alan Turing. But I think the Turing test, people actually talk it up too much because of Alan Turing. Mark? Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I guess back, you know, 60 years ago, probably when Turing had not much idea of where computers were going, it was certainly a, an interesting test he came out with. But I think you're right that it seems to be fairly easy to fake various aspects of being a human, but that's certainly not a good indication that you've got any kind of general AI. I mean, the chatbots of these days, they learn from previous conversations, they learn from a few simple rules. They're not actually intelligent. They've just learned how to fool humans, basically. Mm. OK, Mark, uh, time for you to play Truth or Consequences. <laughs> the S in President Harry S. Truman doesn't stand for anything. It's just an S. True or false? <laughs> I'm going to go true. <laughs> You're good at this. It is absolutely true. It's just an S. Uh, How would you do that? Because grandparents on female side and male side both had S's as their surnames or middle names or first names or something, and they couldn't toss up. Well, oh, I can't call myself Sergeant or Strongman or something. Okay. Which one are you going to pick? So stuff it. We'll just put an S. So it was just an S. <gasps> hey, thanks. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll come back. But I just want to treat you to a little bit of... Um, there's this evangelist preacher who's quite famous, came from New Zealand, Christchurch. Sorry to put that on you, Christchurch. <laughs> Ray Comfort. He is massive in the United States. He found out about my rather heathen attitudes uh, and he got in touch with the program. And he wanted to come on. I said, would you come on live? He said, name your time. So I forget what time it was. I checked the time where he was. It was 3.30 in the morning. He got up at 3.30 in the morning to have a go at me, basically, <laughs> about saving my soul. So I might play a little bit of that and uh, a, a couple of cuts throughout. It's, Here it's, it's credible, and it, and it tells you after you die, you have to face the God you don't believe in. Okay. And I'm deeply concerned for you. Yeah, no, I, I'm deeply concerned for you as well. Why? Why? What, why I think, would you be concerned I, I, I think you should read more books. I read books all the time. Not, every, not everything that happens in prophecy comes true, and some of them are really quite Graham, clear. I've read all of Origin of Species, every page of it. Have you read Origin of Species? I have, actually, yeah. It's the most boring book in the world, isn't it? No, I found it quite good, actually. It's boring, I <laughs> oh, well, numbers isn't that much fun either. No, it's very dry. Yeah, OK. So you've had a Christian so background, us... obviously. Sorry? Have you had a Christian background? No, no, not at all. How did you read the book of Numbers? I'm interested in... We're here just keeping you on your toes <laughs> of a Sunday evening. <laughs> Skeptical Thoughts with Susan Wiles and Mark Honeychurch. OK, now let's talk about this paper. Someone claims to have injected themselves with proteins made by translating bits of the Bible and the, the Quran. Quran. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, this uh, 
we call them preprints, I guess. So just a description of science has appeared on a, a website. Um, so it hasn't been peer reviewed. It'll be very difficult to peer review it actually because it's very badly written and doesn't really tell you very much about how they've done what they claim to have done. But anyway, and somebody said it was some French teenager. I don't know. Any, anyway, it's some person has what they've said they've done is taken um, a, a short passage from Genesis, I think. They've made some arbitrary decision about how to translate that paragraph into, um, I guess, base pairs. Mm -hmm. So that A, T, G, and C that that makes up DNA, um, and then they've um, they've so they've sort of translated it into a DNA sequence, which they've then um, kind of fiddled around with to see if it would make a protein, mm -hmm. uh, and then they have made that protein and then injected it into themselves. And then they did the same thing with the Quran. They took a bit of well, the Of course that'll work. Uh, well, <laughs> it was interesting. So I um so they so they haven't really described very well how they've how they've done this. You can so you can send away a sequence a, a list of ATCs and Gs to a companies and they will then synthesize that mm. for you. So you so it's very easy to do this thing. So I have no doubt that they could not you know that they could make this this thing happen um but i i looked up the sequence so one of the sequences i think this was the bible one that they had done um and it it came up with some hits to parts of the protein that it made that were from a whole bunch of organisms some so some microbes some uh, toxoplasmogondii that's, oh, that's the, our favorite that's the amazing <laughs> parasite that um that that makes mice rodents people like cats yeah and then <laughs> um, we get it and we drive badly yeah yeah and all sorts of other things yes it makes a it makes us do risky behavior um but also um some parasitic insects or something so it's kind of interesting that they've either vaccinated themselves against the quran and the bible mm -hmm. or they've injected themselves with something that who at some unidentified protein that who knows what effect it could have mm. But um, from can, I, can I just jump in here it. because I've done a little bit of research about the author, and mm -hmm. as you said, you said for earlier, French teenager. It turns out the author is French, and he is 15 years old. He has an interest in biology and filmmaking, um, and I'm honestly skeptical that he's actually done this at all because I took that sequence that he's made for the Bible, and I used the service that he said he's used, Proteogenics. And I slapped it in there and I tried to order my own um, protein <laughs> from it. And it turns out that the sequence was so long that they are getting, they're contacting me back in a couple of days to let me know a price. So in the meantime, I cut it down to about a quarter of the size it was. And it's come out at 490 euros, basically, is the cheapest I could get it. So I'm, sus I'm suspicious about this. I don't think this 15-year-old would have the money in order to be able to order this and stick it in their own phone. Oh, Mark, there are lots of very, very rich teenagers in some he places. He doesn't look like a rich teenager. He's no. trying to raise money for a, uh, a YouTube video project. And, okay. uh, yeah, everything about him made me think that maybe this is something he'd like to do rather than something he actually has done. So, yeah, this I, is, am, I am definitely sceptical. Mark, and this is why we appreciate the sceptics so much, because they've got cats like you go out and try it and and tell us what the results are so many of us can just scoff and go oh that sounds stupid and uh, carry on with the rest of our day which is probably the but, default setting but, but to go out and give it a go good but on here's, you here's the thing though like 
so that what what this teenager if he is doing this stuff is tempting to do is basically known as biohacking so this idea that you can kind of you know play with dna and things you know you can that you can that you can send away these sequences and get them synthesized and then you get these things mm. uh, and this is something that high school students can do there are competitions around the world there's one really big one called iGEM or the um, uh, genetically engineered machines competition stuff with this is what teenagers do they basically makes they would be making vectors like like this the whole point, though, is you wouldn't be injecting them into yourself, right? Because even if you are the human subject, presumably it still has to go through some level of, of ethics. But it's just, but that whole biohacking thing really raises this interesting point about, you know, about who gets to do these things and whether some of these things are a little too easy to do, actually. Mm. <laughs> Hence the CRISPR babies and stuff. Um, which we're not even going to go there. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the whole ethics of it. But no, I'm, I'm, I, that's interesting that that um, you think he, he might not be able to afford it. <laughs> I, I, I love reading the fact that he said that um, he didn't need approval for yes. this because he was doing he it on subject. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, OK. Um, now, another short game of Truth or Consequences. Viruses are the most abundant life form on Earth. If you laid all the viruses on the planet end to end, they'd form a line 200 million light years long. That's obviously got to be completely false. I asked you at the time, it's the most yeah, crazy thing I've ever, ever heard. You said it could be out by an order of 10. Maybe it's 20 million, right. not 200 million. That's long enough. <laughs> yeah, and most of those viruses will be phage, will be vi uh, viruses of bacteria, mm. I reckon. OK, yeah. anyway, it's the most astounding thing. Our <laughs> galaxy is only 100,000 light years across. Are you still on your chair after hearing that, Mark Honeychurch? I, I am still sitting here because I did hear that before when you oh, asked Susie about it. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> it was the, the most overplayed thing I've ever done. Um, now, another little cut from my time with uh, Ray Comfort. Man, have you ever run into him, Mark? No, I tried to. I heard he was talking in Christchurch and I was going to go down there and then I found out he was talking via a Skype link and I wasn't going to travel there just to hear him over Skype. <laughs> OK. Just a little cut from our conversation. It was actually great to get him. This is your only hope, Ram. You're standing on your own oxygen hope. God provided a means for you to have everlasting life. If there's one chance in a million that it's true, you should soften your heart, put aside your pre preconceived ideas. No, not necessarily, no, because the thing is, to me, it's preposterous. That, What's preposterous? That a universal god would just be so localised and, and have a tribal favourite. Can you go, why? Why the Jews? Because God chose one nation. I know he did, but why? Because he's God. You can, why uh, is God? OK. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was his nice answer. <laughs> um, that's edited to my benefit, but it ended like that. He didn't have an answer to it. Anyway, he's got, he's a, he is a very slippery character. Um, okay, now a cool study published that suggests it might be uh, best not to get one of those genetic tests done that tell you your ancestry. Do they tell you yeah, your ancestry well, or the amount of people that are related to you most closely? Um, well, so people get them done for lots of different reasons. So there are the whole ancestry things, whether, that you know, like how how much percentage of where you come from, I don't know, Europe or wherever. Mm. But actually it's the, it's, the, it's the using them to find out about risks of diseases that um, these people were most interested in for this paper. Because, you know, okay, so we've talked a lot about the placebo effect, right? The whole, um, you know, thinking something uh, and then essentially kind of 
making your body react against. I mean, pain is a really big thing. So, um, you know, thinking that something's going to be a pain reliever, and it really is, even though it kind of doesn't do anything, right? So what these guys were interested in was was the nocebo effect. So that's the opposite. That's the basically making something, thinking that something bad's going to happen, and then that kind of that bad thing um, physiologically happens. Mm -hmm. And so they were wondering, like, if you if you tell somebody they have a risk of a genetic risk of a disease, then are they likely to change their behaviour in some way that will exacerbate that? Um, and uh, and the reason Make they're it more likely to, yeah, that they're going to well, get the disease. or that you would get some symptoms or something. And the reason they were interested in it is because if you get your DNA sent away to different places, you can get depending on the way they do their analysis, you can get a different answer from each of them. So somebody can so one of them could tell you you've got a high risk of this disease, and other ones would say no, you don't. You've got a moderate stuff. So what these these people did is they they took two scenarios, but let's just quickly talk about one of them. So there's a there's a gene that you can have. Um, you can be a, a, basically have a, a version of it that makes you at high risk for finding exercise really difficult, getting really hot when you exercise, and not having the um, the kind of the seeing the benefits of that exercise. Uh, and then there are other versions of that gene where you actually it's, it's a if you have that version it's really positive, like you will you will do really well from exercise. And so they they gave people these genet genetic tests so that they could find out what their risk was or which one they were. And then they gave them a baseline test. So they, they made them run on a treadmill and said, run on the treadmill. And then they recorded like how they felt about it, how long before the end they gave up, how hard did it, did it was and stuff. And then they told them either that they had this protective mutation or they had a, a, um, a, a bad mutation. Uh, and so you have people who have really got a bad mutation, but they told them that they've got protected one, and you've got people who've got the sort of opposite, right? And then they made them run again. And then they saw, so now that they've given them this extra information about their risk, you know, telling them, you know, so if you've got this, this mutation, you're going to find it hard and all this kind of stuff. Those people who were told they had bad mutation gave up sooner and found it harder and even took in less oxygen when they were breathing than those who weren't told that which they had the protective, regardless of what mutation they actually had. Because they've got some, something to blame it on. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it turned out that it was actually the... So if you told somebody they had the, the bad mutation, mm. the effect was even worse than if they actually had the bad mutation. Uh -huh. yeah. So I think that's really, really interesting. The they psychology had, knowing. Yes, exactly. And, and actually that may be some of these things we should just not know about because knowing about it would make you respond differently mm. and possibly but worse. This was short-term only, wasn't it? Because obviously they didn't want to be very unethical and let people feel that they've got a problem for a long time. So I think it was only an hour yeah. that they um, they lied to these people. I, I wonder how much that effect would diminish over time. Mm. And it's interesting me because personally, I, I'm looking at the moment to try and get one of these DNA tests because I've, I've just found out because my mother's in hospital that I might have a genetic problem with my heart. And um, DNA testing is one good way of finding out. But for the life of me, I can't figure out how to do it because 23andMe, the big company in the States, they don't seem to sell the health component of their DNA testing to overseas clients. Well, and, and lots of these things, the, um, the government, governments and regulators are saying, actually, we're not sure whether people should find out this information because, again, the companies use different algorithms to find it out and you might yep. get the wrong information. So, mm. Yeah, so mm. certainly 23andMe have been shut down from making any health claims. I think now they're allowed to make maybe three or four, but apparently you can download your raw data and there are other services that aren't so um, well behaved that you can upload your data to and they will give you a lot more details about your health and what your DNA says about it. Okay. Hey, you two. 
You've been fabulous. Thank you so <laughs> Time's much. Time's over. Uh, yeah, you. Time is, is over. And did you know... Viruses are the most abundant <laughs> life form on Earth. If you laid all the viruses on the planet end to end... Just think about it. ...they form a line 200 million light years long. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Well, on a short visit to the Eden, I found a secret museum of New Zealand. One that is, well, definitely lesser known. Just, I've just come in off Cumberland into one of the uh, academic buildings, of which there are a lot here in Dunedin. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Museum of Regrets. An amazing little find. And to tell us about it and what it is, uh, we have one of the curators here. It's Sam McKenna. G'day, Sam. Great, great of you to pop in. I'm really uh, looking forward to showing you around. Thanks for the invite. First up, the origin of the Museum of Regrets. How did, how did this come about? It's a peculiar thing. Well, well originally, it was a private collection by uh, a Dr Herbert Phillips, who's a Dunedin academic. Now, he did a PhD in failed academic theories of the 19th century and taught physics uh, at Otago in the 40s. I can recall there was the idea that what Lord Kelvin worked out that the Earth was two million years old or something along those lines. A lot of people wrote a lot of stuff they didn't really know how it was going to turn out and ended up... Even Einstein with his great regrets, you know? Yes, that's right. There's, there's a lot of those. But here at this museum, a, a lot of the stuff here was donated uh, to the Hocken Library after Herbert's death in uh, 1965 and it was kept in a storage area for decades... But it was recently rediscovered, well, not that long ago, rediscovered by the Hocken librarian Grant McDougall in, in 1996. All oh, right. And with the, the Hocken's um, famous repository here yeah. in Dunedin for yeah. a lot of things, photographs and, mm. and documents. OK, so this guy whose study it was was um, academic failures. All his failures were stuck together in, in Hocken, and um, that's a long time for to be kind of like held without being rediscovered. Bloody hell, you found something here. Well, well, he secretly added to the original collection. You see, this is what people don't know. And it had its own temporary exhibition at, at the Otago Museum in 2003. Mm. But after it's run there, the, the entire kit and caboodle was set up here at the you know, current address in Cumberland Street, just across from Otago Uni, and we opened that in 2005, 10 years ago. So it's the 10th, 10th anniversary this year. Okay. Well, happy tenth. Like to have a look around. I'd love to have a look around. People will be wondering what nerve you have in a museum of regrets. Perhaps we should start just over here. Well, this is the closest, so let's start with this one. These basically, basically this is we're in a room, yep. a lovely little room with the uh, museum displays, photographs, yep. documents, yep. and it seems to be some interactive stuff as well. well. We've, we've, you know, we've spent as much money as we, you know, could legitimately spend. But this is the photographic exhibit. You look at these photographs here now. You, you can see what's in these cages in the photographs. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, this, fo this photograph here is taken in 1868. God, that's yeah. an early photograph. Yeah, this is a very old one in Bluff by a Walter Burton. Uh, and it's, it's of one of the first successful introductions of the possum. And there they are. Good God. Now, now all the possum... Well, we think at least all of the possums in the South Island and possibly the North Island, are descended from these animals here. So and that's a classic regret. So there we have it, the devastation of our forests being gleefully welcomed. How happy they are. Yeah. They look so happy that no idea what these things are going to do. Yeah. 
at the yeah. bottom, yeah. All right. And there's even an advertisement. It's from the ODT, Otago Daily Times. Yeah, well, if, you look, if you look closely, you can see the purchase price. See that? Right. It says purchase posthumes. P-O-S-S-U-M-E-S. Yeah. Purchase posthumes. Two pounds a gross. That's, right. that's 144 possums. That's a lot of money in those days. That's a lot of. That's actually a lot of money oh. for for, um, for. I mean, I suppose getting them over here from Australia. You know, that's a fair old undertaking. Oh. But um, but that's the money you spent. Yeah. And, and on the same page of the Otago Daily Times, gorse for sale. Yeah, I mean, you could pop into what a store sold, plants like this. And it says here, uh, the most handsome of vegetables, myriad of uses, and hilariously here, easy to control. And also says, fixes nitrogen into the soil, which was, you know, I suppose an important consideration in mm. those days with a mm. new country. Thruppence for a pack of 100 seeds. Mm. Best the empire has to offer. There we have it. Gorse, welcomed into New Zealand along with the possum. Two brilliant exhibits here. Um, I get what you mean about this being the museum the, of these, regrets. These photographs that you see around you, especially these, the possums and the gorse, are, to our knowledge, the only ones in existence, and these are the originals. Okay. Just over here, some more along this sort of line, we've got a photograph of Harriet Dodd releasing a small cluster of stoats. Yeah, well, I don't know what you'd call a group of stoats, but anyway, they're a, they're a menace, aren't they? So I suppose we'll call these a menace of stoats. Now, she brought these from Warwickshire into Dunedin locals would know as a green belt around the city. Uh -huh. the, you can see, how, you know, the ecstasy on her face there, and she's uh, quite different to, um, to standard Victorian photographs of the quite grim-looking women, but she, yeah. looks, she looks thrilled, doesn't she? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely thrilled to introducing stoats. Mm. Um, I'm taking at these older ones. They're part of uh, the original collection of uh, Dr Hurt Phillips. Yeah, yeah. that's right. OK, well, what about... The stuff that Mr. McDougall added in that those decades of uh, interim. How Grant added these to the collection um, is this his stuff over here? Yeah, yes, over here. You know, some of this was quite simple. Mm. You know, searches at various libraries around the country. You know, you'd have keywords like um, well, I don't know whether I should say it on radio, but but f yeah. if you typed in deep regret, that doesn't really work because you'll just uh, you'll get death notices. Right. Um, however. Surprisingly tired and emotional brings up quite a bit of material. So you've got to okay. just sort of play around like that. And once we sort of got the hang of how to search, you know, you, you sort of lock onto stuff a lot easier. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. F up and tired and emotional. See, you've got quite a lot of TV screens and stuff, uh, an interactive affair. People love that. And a lot of um, video and audio. Yeah, well, this is, this is the bit that, you know, I guess the kids or the younger people will always gravitate towards. They, you know, just like at Kelly Talden's in Auckland, people rush through the Captain Scott exhibit and they want to get to the fish. Well, it's like that here. Mm. The children will go past the photos you've just seen and they'll and goes straight to the video. OK, this is... Uh, you can just take your pick between different uh, you just regrets. Select, you select from the menu. Um, you flick, flick down through here, and um, if you select... Well, this one here's a good one. Um, we'll just turn that on there. Um, we have... The, well, this is rare footage. Dame Kath Pizzard, 1984, uh, and then she was Mayor of Auckland City. Later became uh, gov uh, Governor-General of New Zealand. But this, is, this is special. It was recorded just a week before the Queen Street riots in 1984. And this, is, this it looks like um, oh it is, it's Aotea Square, oh, yep. and there's a band playing, and oh God, here she goes. She's a little unsteady on her feet, I have to say. She's getting on the stage. It's a special surprise to introduce our Harangi, our Mayor, Kath Tizard. Hi, I'm a real intruder here. I'm coming back, but look, 
I'm good. I said, man, shut up, you lot. Shut up. Oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, well, she's basically hammered. I, I, I really do have to say something because I was simply coming back through the square tonight to go back to, to go home. But this is what we want to happen in the square. Molotov cocktails, Trump. Did you say yes? I'll kill you if you do. Yeah, you know, she's as drunk as a lord. Stop and, a um, moment. Well, you know. Just stop a moment and listen to me. I ask you to listen to me seriously for a moment. Because you know, and I know, that Auckland Central is a great place to have fun. But we all, we all need, we all need to be part of making sure that Brilliant. ordinary, decent people can come here safely and have fun here. Let's make sure that every time something happens here, we're all part of it. All right. Well, that's a wonderful thing to come and see. Do come and visit uh, that and have a look at it. Um, I haven't seen that footage before. And, you know, in the public domain, there she is. Oh, well, nothing like a bit of mellow poisoning at 6 p.m. That's right. Now, if you just... There's another one here I'd like to show you. This is, um, this is a real beauty. A, a lot of people would know this one, but, again, the, the kids haven't seen this one. This is former Prime Minister Rob Muldoon, you know, following along a similar line. This is the moment where he announces his snap election... Uh, clearly, dr again, drunk as a lord, so I'll just play that one. Have we got a date for Prime Minister? Uh, we got a date the 14th of July, which we worked out at Government House as being the appropriate date. That doesn't give much time to run up to an election, Prime Minister. Doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it? Oh, that's lovely that you've got that, and we kind of know how, how that turned out. Oh, this is nice. This is uh, not audio-visual. just got... Um, uh, a couple of contracts here. John Kerwin's contract signing Benji Marshall to uh, the Blues. There you are. That's an original. That is, is the original. Yeah. There and there's the signature right there. You can see mm. clear as a bell. Oh, and, I mean, that's that's one of the, that, that is one of the all-time yeah. great regrets right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, a little audio company it. Hi guys, Benji here. Um, gives me great pleasure to announce that I'll be joining the Auckland Blues next year for the next two seasons. Uh, I just want to say how happy and excited I am to come home. Um, and just all the fans are really looking forward to this opportunity to hopefully bring a title to the Blues. Hopefully, maybe one day represent the All Blacks. So to everyone out there, I'm really excited. I hope you guys are too. Can't wait to see you next year. When you have a think about it, uh, the sports realm, it's quite a rich vein for regrets. Well, that's right. I mean, the Kerwin contract is by no means the, uh, the only one. Ron Polinski, who's just down the road at the Sports Hall of Fame, uh, has been very helpful because some of the exhibits he didn't want to display, we did. Um, like, uh, for example, if you just look over here, yeah. there's a program here from the 1949 All Black Tour of South Africa. Now, New Zealand agreed, if you remember, to send only white players... This is right. going a long way back, yeah. but you'll know this story. Yeah. Uh, the next move was to send brown skin players like Brian Williams as honorary whites in 1970. Do you, uh, remember, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And that's 
It's just bizarre, isn't it? I think I think I actually think it was shameful then. And I mean, 1949, we sent two. There were two orbit teams. One we sent to Australia, and the other one we went to South Africa, and they all lost. They lost. I think they lost every single game in South Africa. And Fred Allen, who was captain on that tour, threw his boots off the side of the boat when they came back. That's right. Yeah. That's quite right. So oh, now, right. this is re- this is remarkable. This one. The coloured pass card of Errol Tobias. Is it oh, Tobias? We're to- yeah, to Errol Tobias. Yeah. Uh, this is from 1981, Springbok tour. Yeah. Yes, that's right, that's right. Only black player in Springboks of 81 squad. And they said he didn't play well because every time somebody said pass, he'd, he'd put his hand in his, his back pocket. To just to get around his own country, he had to yeah. bring, out, bring out a pass. That's right, a- apparently so, yeah. Mm. yeah. All right, um, <coughs> some broadcasting regrets well, over there's here. there's a, a whole different um, shooting match, this one. This is one of the we're most proud of, mm. this section here. And some of the stuff really took quite a bit of uh, negotiation to get our hands on mm. and to be able to use in the public. So this is, yeah, this is broadcasting, and there are a lot of regrets in here. Mm. One of the best ones we have is the actual... New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation, so the forerunner to TVNZ, mm. letter of rejection to John Clark, of course, Fred Dagg, etc., etc. Now, who, who went to Australia? Went to Australia, became, became very famous over there, and, and did such such fantastic projects. Such, the games, wasn't the it? Games. The games, brilliant. Yeah. Um, so let's read this here. You want to read that there? All right, you read that out to Clark, comma John Dot. <laughs> we do not see your brand of comedy being popular in the long term. We are. Also looking for something more along the lines of political satire. We're requiring that if you are impersonating a person, you should actually be able to impersonate them. Which is bloody ironic, isn't it? Yeah, that's very ironic because um, it, because political satire obviously became his yeah. became his thing. Yeah, and also so wonder, he doesn't impersonate people. I, I wonder whether he actually has a copy of this himself. He probably does. You should tell him. I'm not sure if he does. I, we, I we could, could ask write him. We could write to him. All right. Yeah. And here's one. Oh, the flight of the Concords. Now, now this one is from a gentleman called Tony Holden. Is oh, the yeah. name? Yeah. Now it says, um, "Dear Jermaine and Brett." Yeah. Um, it spelt Jermaine wrong. He spelled it like Jermaine Greer, but you know, <laughs> I didn't know. Um, Dear Jermaine and Brent, we don't see a future for you in national commercial television. We recommend you hone your craft further with some sketches. In the regions, perhaps, first, and then if you could get back to us with some original material, not with guitars. And, and they really went downhill from then, didn't they? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it, I guess in New Zealand television, it's, it's a bit of a, the guy that signed away the Beatles, I suppose, or the yeah. guy that rejected the Beatles. But, you know. oh, this one's actually, it's not just laminated. This is beautifully framed. This is a big regret. It, it, it would have cost the taxpayer, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes, it did, infamously. This is, this, what you're looking at here is a copy of the multi-million dollar contract signed by a Mr John Hawksby. There it is. There's the signature. And now this was very kindly donated to us by uh, Mike Hosking, um, who's obviously got some kind of family connection there. But um, no, that's it. That is the actual thing. And he was uh, the newsreader for... <coughs> God, it was only a few oh. months, wasn't it? M- yeah, not long at all. And then he retired to make wine on Waiheke somehow. Yeah, that's right. And there's a photo here... Of him, I think they might have even played this on the news where he's waving from a yacht, right. and he's, I think he's waving a check or, or yeah. you know, saying thanks New Zealand for yeah. the money or something. So, yeah. okay, um, oh, Mike King, a picture of Mike King here, 
and the crew are eating media lunch. I was involved with them. I recall this happening. You've got the audio. Well, there we are. Do you want to just press the button? Just reach okay. over here. Just, just put, put your finger on there. You have one played message received at 12.51 p.m. Lee Baker, Mike King, 021. Just a message here, little f***ed friend, mate. He is f***ing with the wrong person. Yeah, I can let him listen to this too, cocksucker. You have f***ed with the wrong person, you f***ing jumped up little f***head. Call me back if you got the f***ing balls. To return the call... Um, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, I remember when that came through on the answer phone because I was um, I was working with them at the time. We, we, ne we never really found out who this Lee Baker is. Mm. Lee Baker was actually, yeah, he was part of the team. Nice guy. But I think I'm just trying to recall we did some piece uh, lampooning Mike King for some reason. He took offence to it and, and left that message on our answer phone. I remember hearing it quite shocked and that, that Jeremy Wells was... He felt very afraid for a whole afternoon. But I must say, Mike has apologised. So, uh, uh, fair enough that this is in the Museum of Regrets. I, well, uh, just one thing about this exhibit, you'll notice these headphones here. Normally the, the headphones are plugged in because of the content. Mm. I've put this out, I've, I've un, undone the headphones especially for you, but, mm. but normally I just want the, you know, the listeners to know they want to come here the headphones are installed, so yeah. you don't. If you've got children with you, they're not going to hear the expletives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a warning contains yeah, strong, yeah, strong language. language. Yeah. And what's this here? It's okay. a cell phone. Well, right. Well, if we open this up here now, this is. If you just have a look at that there, ordinary-looking Samsung Galaxy, and we've left this permanently on and charged and connected, and it's uh, Pebbles Hooper's last tweet. <laughs> okay. So if you look here, if you read it, yeah, it says <laughs> okay. I'll get major slack for this, leaving but leaving a car running inside a closed, closed garage, garage well. while your yes. kids are in the house is natural selection. selection. And you can you can uh, you can even see she spelt your wrong. Yeah, that's the last tweet. Really, I, I you know maybe mm. she's quite young, didn't think. Mm. Merlot poisoning again. One check when it was written. One a.m. One in the morning. What does that say? Yeah, you know. So with regrets, uh, I can see, and I suspect it anyway. There's a special room for apologies. That's right. Well, if you come through here, all of these are all the apologies. This one here is classic. Oh, so we have the offence and the apology yeah. side by side. That's or right. we could just play this. Yeah, you can play one after the other. Uh, and there's a picture of Paul Holmes looking yeah. very young. That's him. And this, of course, is the classic Cheeky Darky. That Kofi Annan, I've got to say to you, he's been a very cheeky darky overnight. He's been a very cheeky darky. It's all very well given a darkie, that Secretary-General job. Well, that takes so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not going to be told how to live our lives by a Ghanaian. Where does that dark folk get that idea? That Mr. Kofi Annan, the cheeky darkie. It is 9 to 8. News Talk ZB. It's tired. It didn't work. I have apologised. I've hurt my family, I think. I may have hurt yours. Oh, tired and emotional search would, uh, br I suppose. That's, that how we that's how we found it. That's exactly how we found it. And he looks, I mean, look at his little face. Hmm. He really looks so contrite. And there's a picture of contrition, yeah. isn't it? And tired emotional search brought this one up. You are actually on the screen. Part of the reason I'm so excited to have you here is you. <laughs> this is you here. You want me now, to sign it? Can you tell me about this? I say two words, I think, in this, but yeah, I remember this. Mark Ellis pissed on 
the sports National cafe. Television. Yeah. National television. Drunk as a lord. What do you think, Mark? That's oh, a... I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with, with the team. <laughs> Given the options they had available, Rick, <laughs> um, I think essentially the right decisions have been made. <laughs> but this looks like it's like it's half taken down and it's not actually in apology it's just to, uh, to one side here what's yeah, going on well this okay this this one here um it's being removed this week a visitor one of his old mates john leslie i think told mark about this and mark wrote to us saying that uh, that he, he wasn't in fact sorry at all so you know <laughs> it's not an apology it's not a regret it's nothing so mm. it's got to go well, you stick to the rules. Yeah, we've well, got to stick to the rules. That's right. Mm. Those are the rules. All right. Thanks heaps, Sam. Sam McKenna, curator of the Museum of Regrets in Dunedin. Dunedin seems to be a special place for um, secret museums. You've got the Marijuana Museum in that's town. Right. Yes, that's right. And, and thanks so much for having me on your show. And, and, you know, if anybody's down this way, it'd be great to see you. Yeah. Um, opening us Monday through Friday and Saturday, 10am till 3pm, mm -hmm. and by appointment on Sundays. You know. Yeah. Oh, and going out. Well Here done. We right above the door. Above the door. Uh, everybody This needs. is a local regret. That's right. Oh, it's uh, It's all right here. Yes. So there we are. That's, it was... that's the one you see as you leave. <laughs> <laughs> the Dunedin Council listeners, if you didn't know, were looking for a byline, a catchphrase, like Hamilton's got gateway to Redland. And Dunedin had, for, I think, many years, Dunedin, it's all... Right, right here. here. See the double? Yeah. yeah. It's all well, right here and it's all right here. If, yeah. yeah, but it's kind of like damning with faint praise, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not excellent it's not here. It's not so bad. Yeah. It's not so bad. You'll yeah. put up with it. We'll put up with it, but, you know, yeah. yeah. We yeah. love Dunedin. Okay. We'll, we'll always be here. Of course, uh, that'd be a great regret. I think it costs a few thousand dollars to figure that out. Dunedin has reverted to... Dunedin. Just the name of the just town. Just the name of the Just the name of the city, Dunedin. That's right. And that'll do nicely. That'll do fine for now. Awesome. Thanks, Graham. Another secret museum of New Zealand, the Museum of Regret. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Coming up to news and sport and weather and stuff, the info burst at 10 o'clock. Uh, lovely to have so many friends and colleagues in here tonight for the last of the Weekend Variety Wireless. Special mention to Saskia, Kristen, Sarah. Do -do 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 -do.